Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Purple Pileus by H.G. Wells. Am I pronouncing Pileus right? As far as I can tell, yes. <laughs> but I, I, I'm no expert on this. Pileus is another word for uh, mushroom cap, basically, right? A particular kind of mushroom cap. Some mushrooms don't have this kind of cap. Um, okay. And it's also, according to what I was able to discover, it's also the name for many of the kinds of mushrooms that have this particular kind of cap. But this is the kind of cap that most people are familiar with anyway. It's the one mm-hmm. where it's you know, covered over and then under it you've got these gills with spores that can come out from underneath. Mm-hmm. Toadstool. Yep. Uh, That'd be good. For it. Yep. Um, had you read this story before? I do not believe so. If I did, it was when I was a child. Mm. What would you make of it as a child? I, I do not think I would have got any of the things that are going on in it. And children are absent from this story, which I think is kind of interesting as well. I I agree. Um, I don't know what I would have gotten from it as a child. It depends upon whether or not I had read it before or after I learned about uh Amanita mushrooms and their deadly consequences. Uh, but uh, reading it as an adult, I found it to be a fascinating story. Uh, one that I particularly liked because although it is H.G. Wells, and we these days tend to think of him for his contributions to science fiction uh, or to fantasy, in fact, this story is neither. It is actually a realistic story um, that has in it an episode of hallucination. So uh, it is strange in the way in which this story crosses the line back and forth between reality and something else, but not, I think, necessarily for the reader. Uh, maybe you read the story differently, Jesse. I always like to interpret things as being science fiction or fantasy. <laughs> um, and uh, that's what I was expecting when I was reading it. But I think I told you before we started that uh, I didn't get what I was expecting. And yet, um, I, I, I still think of it as a fantastic tale in a couple of ways. One of the, one of the things that I really like about it is the, the narrator, whoever the narrator is, could be Wells himself or whoever, um, really puts a spin on everything that's going on. And I, I watched um, a recent uh, television adaptation of this, and they put their own spin on it um, that I think is not the spin that the narrator puts on, although um, that episode of the Nightmare Worlds of H.G. Wells, I thought that this is an interesting story for being a nightmare. Um, it's kind of got a happy ending. <laughs> um, and they did a uh, different kind of ending. And I think um, maybe, we should, after, maybe we should make clear yeah, how the story itself goes. If, I, if I, After a certain point in the story, um, it's it becomes flexible, I guess. OK, so 
as I read it, the story is told by a narrator who is clearly commenting on what's going on a lot, as you say. Uh, this, But the narrator is not a first-person narrator. It's not someone who shows up in the living room. The, the story begins with the... Uh, on a Sunday with the home of a Mr. Coombs and his wife, they, uh, they are not happy people. Actually, it begins with him walking off into the woods and then remembering his marriage. And we understand what's been going on earlier that day, this Sunday. Um, Mrs. Coombs has a uh, tremendous disrespect for her husband, who is clearly uh, unsuccessful as a petty bourgeois, uh, although he uh, claims that part of the reason that he's unsuccessful is that his wife is extravagant and lives leads a life uh, such that the people around them don't want to deal with them. They are not serious enough about the Sabbath. In fact, the wife has her friend in who sings raucous songs and so on, plays at the piano on a Sunday. Um, and in this particular Sunday, she brings with him uh, someone who refers to himself as her intended. There's a, a blow up uh, between uh, our main character, Coombs, and the other three, the wife taking the side of the visitors. Um, so he storms out and we find him out in the woods where in the midst of all of his uh, despondency and anger, he spots an unusual Pileus or Pileus. And, uh, then, because he'd been thinking his life was so miserable that he might as well consider suicide, he he takes a bite of the thing. Um, but instead of it killing him, this little bite um, knocks him out. And when he arises, he's completely forgotten that he took it. But he thinks all kinds of gay. Th what was I? Was I? somber before? Well, I should be gay. And he gathers up all these mushrooms and he turns his clothing inside out and he goes back home and everybody's freaked out by the fact that the guy has changed so much. The three of them are still there. Um, and when they say they're freaked out, he changes his mood again and starts going after them and they all hide and there's a big physical blow up. And that's pretty much the end of what we see until cut to five years later. When uh, Mr. Coombs is walking down the same path again with his brother, Tom, who is visiting from Australia. And Tom is commenting on what a successful small businessman uh, Mr. Coombs is. Uh, and Coombs explains that, uh, yes, it's worked out very well uh, once he put his foot down because women need to have uh, – they need to have uh, some slight amount of fear of their husbands. And from the standpoint of the economics, uh, in fact, he gets the last word. But the very last word has to do with the narrator commenting about the uh, Pileus. Mm -hmm. The change of mood was induced by the Pileus. I think we feel sure of that. Uh, it, in fact, it happens at a key moment, which we can discuss later. But at the end, when uh, Jim Coombs turns out to be his first name, is telling Tom how things worked out, he explains that it was his idea to go mm -hmm. back and act differently. And it was his idea to put the wife in her place. And it was his idea to live differently. And he had made a good business for himself. And so the very last action 
uh, very last paragraph is, and that was as much thanks as the purple Pileus ever got for maddening this absurd little man to the pitch of decisive action and so altering the whole course of his life, which, you know, there are a lot of ways to read that. One of them mm -hmm. is that the whole story is an argument for dabbling in hallucinogens. I think that's one argument. Absolutely. But you didn't get what you expected. So what is it you got from this story? If you feel I've got the, the, the summary out all right. Well, I think, I think you, you know, you did a good job with the summary. Um, I think it is a kind of an argument for dabbling with hallucinogens. And I think it, it's an argument for dabbling in drugs in general. Um, I, I was thinking about this story in the context of other Wells stories that are more fantastic. Um, there's one uh, called The Moth, which is about a, a, a man who, instead of finding um, uh, some fungus in the forest, he finds a moth that obsesses him and causes his life to change. Um, Wells, another story we did, uh, is a man and his cousin and the orchid that he buys, right? Yeah, the strange um, orchid, yeah. Yeah, it, there's a lot of sort of... Um, in the background of any well story, there's there tends to be a lot of interest in the natural world, just as a part of science. And these uh, mushrooms, they grow all over the world, especially in the northern climates, right? Um, and people do go out in the woods and eat them. Um, I've never eaten a, a hallucinogenic mushroom. Uh, I know people who have. I've talked to them, and they seem to think that they're not the worst thing in the world. Um, but I also don't drink alcohol very much, and I know a lot of people who do that and enjoy it very much. And I think that what's really interesting is that drugs are often used as a way of changing reality that is interesting because people choose to have their reality changed. I'm not sure that that was his intention, um, when he was eating those mushrooms at first, it may have been, let me just see how suicidally intentional I am. He's not super clear that he's going to kill himself. He's talking about um, kicking his wife to death and stabbing her. And then when he returns to the home with all those mushrooms in hand, or in hat, I guess I should say, um, there is sort of a sense that he's trying to poison everybody as well. Um, so what, what's so funny is that drugs are often used by people to change their mood or reality. Um, but in choosing to do so by taking those drugs, by drinking the alcohol, by eating those mushrooms, aren't they changing the reality first? They're saying, I wish things were different. I wish to be different. And he wishes things were different, and he chooses to eat something, and then things are different. So when he says at the end, um, I just made the decision, and he doesn't mention these mushrooms, except his brother Tom says, look at all these mushrooms growing around here on the same path five years later. Right. And the brother says, uh, what use are they? And he says, I can't see what use they are in the world. But Mr. Coombs looks and says, I dare say they're sent for some wise purpose. <laughs> I think that Mr. Coombs, 
I'm not sure, like rereading the story, I'm not sure that Mr. Coombs is a protagonist. He certainly wants something, but he's not he's not heroic in any certain sense. But the change really, I think, comes down to he doesn't like the way his life's going. He figures out a way to change his life. Things go better, at least for him. I don't know how his wife's doing. <laughs> well, she's certainly now married to uh, someone who makes a lot more money. And mm-hmm. since her complaint has been that he was a little grub and was uh, parsimonious, um, presumably now that the business is really doing quite nicely, as Tom observes and as Jim concurs, uh, maybe now she actually can uh, live a more luxurious life. Uh, I think that uh, there are strange levels in this story. There's one that I'm not sure, I'm sure is important, but I'm not sure that it has uh, snapped into focus for me. Uh, I want to go back to the, uh, the the moment when he does or doesn't decide to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, a paragraph, you know, he's a small shopman in such a melancholy position. Um, his wife turns out to be a disloyal partner. And the, protagon- the narrator says, well, that's always the case. If your wife is a disloyal partner, you're going to have a sad life as a small shopman. The economics and class issues and the relationship of matrimony to economics runs all through this. It's a completely, mm-hmm. completely standard social story. But at the end of that paragraph, after a time, his, that's Coombs' fierceness, gave way to melancholia. He had been married in this very overcoat, the one he's wearing at the moment, in his first and only frock coat, which is a uh, I guess in this case, the frock coat is sort of maybe fitting under the overcoat. I don't know from the way the sleeves get mangled when he gets dressed that was buttoned up beneath it. He began to recall their courting along this very walk, his years of penurious uh, saving to get capital and the bright hopefulness of his marrying days for it all to work out like this. Was there no sympathetic ruler anywhere in the world? Mm-hmm. He reverted to death as a topic. So uh, in terms of the setting, we have two different domains. We have the the place where Coombs and his wife live, uh, something place that's fit for petty bourgeois, uh, let's say the town. And then he walks down Gasworks Lane, crosses a canal and winds up in the forest. So we have the industrial urbanized area where they live. And then we have the wild forest and it's from the wild forest that he found that hopefulness initially years ago when he was courting the woman who becomes his wife out in that forest. He asks, was there no sympathetic ruler anywhere in the world? Mm -hmm. Right. It's a it's a cry of despair. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Only later in the story do we find out that Mr. Coombs' first name is Jim, so he has the initials J.C. <laughs> there are all kinds of death head um, of, of poisonous, deadly mushrooms. Many of them are pileus. Uh, Amanita is the most famous, and it is white with red spots, which is one of the kinds of mushrooms that gets described later in the story. But the particular mushroom that our guy picks up is purple, which is traditionally the color of royalty, of monarchy. 
Mm -hmm. Was there no sympathetic ruler anywhere in the world? So he reverts to death as a topic. You see the Jesus Christ thing going on here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is in the middle of the seven last words of Christ on the cross. The next paragraph begins. He thought of the canal that he, he had just crossed and doubted whether he shouldn't stand with his head out, even in the middle. That is, he was wondering, if I'm standing in the middle of this canal, will I drown? And it was while drowning was in his mind that the purple pileus caught his eye. Right. So to read those sentences without my commentary, was there no sympathetic ruler anywhere in the world? He reverted to death as a topic. He thought of the canal he had just crossed and doubted whether he shouldn't stand with his head out even in the middle. And it was while drowning was in his mind that the purple pileus crossed caught his eye. I just read there was no missing sentences. I didn't leave anything out. In other words, just like a fairy tale, mm -hmm. as soon as this guy wants something, he gets it. There is a sympathetic ruler somewhere in the world. But this is a sympathetic ruler who lets our JC succeed by going through death. In fact, he is he doesn't even remember that he ever <laughs> yeah. ate the mushroom, right? And when he goes afterwards, five years later, and his life on earth has been has been improved. When he goes, he's walking along with his brother, Tom. Mm -hmm. Well, guess who Tom is to JC? He's, he's that doubting Thomas. Exactly. I, it's hard to believe, the brother says. <laughs> and yet it is true. So clearly this is a story that explicitly talks about money, marriage, economics, how people must depend upon each other, how they need to look proper within society if they expect to pursue things in society. And yet, if you just let the spirit go get loose, if you are willing to, to think about even giving up this world for something else, look what happens. Now, I don't see this story at all as a uh, as a pro-christian story but i can't help but realize that by this kind of ecstasy which is normally thought of as a uh, a religious state etymologically the coming out of oneself this kind of ecstasy is what leads to mr coombs uh, success um when it's all over that was as much thanks as the purple pileus ever got he misses it entirely. Now, I can't help but note, since we know that Wells was a very, very uh, erudite person, that the name of our protagonist um, is an old English term for valleys. So if we think of the death episode for Jesus as happening on a hill, mm. what we have here is the death episode in the valley. We have some kind of strange inversion where the same kind of willingness to just do things on faith and just take a chance and, you know, mm -hmm. play with your, can actually lead to success right here. It is, if you read it that way, not entirely coherent, but definitely blasphemous. 
Yeah, well, it, it, it's 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 suicide is blasphemous too, right? You're not supposed. It's the thing he's not supposed to do. It's like he's going to show her the error of her ways by killing himself. Well, maybe he can kill her with it too, right? The, that uh, paragraph you were reading from the I also made many notes there. Um, you read the beginning, you read the end, but I want to read the middle. Bricklayers kick their wives to death, and dukes betray theirs. But it is among the small clerks and shopkeepers nowadays that it comes most often to the cutting of throats. Now, this is the narrator talking, but <laughs> it could be um, that the narrator is sort of giving us a clue as to what's going on in the mind of Mr. Coombs. Under the circumstances, it is not so very remarkable, and you must take it as charitably as you can, that the mind of Mr. Coombs ran for a while on such glorious close uh, on such glorious close to his disappointed hopes, and that he thought of razors, pistols, bread knives, and touching letters to the corner, denouncing his enemies by name, and praying piously for forgiveness. <laughs> the, the close of this episode would be that he's he's relieved of his wife. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I just I, I think it's 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 such a funny touch there at the end, saying in a touching letters to the corner, denouncing his enemies by name, and praying piously for forgiveness but then it continues after a time his fierceness gave way to melancholia right and the wife says of the same thing uh when he returns he says i bet you he's going to return like a lamb when he left like a lion right, right. <laughs> another uh biblical reference and he doesn't return like a lamb he had been married in this very overcoat and in it, in this very frock coat, which was buttoned up beneath it, he's walking that same path, the path that he courted his wife with. Here, he's courting death, finds the the death caps almost, right? Yeah. And then when he eats them, it, it's almost like, well, let's see. Oh, it's not interesting, the color changes that happen, right? Um, and then he describes, describes well, it's described here. It goes like this. It was so pungent that he almost spat it out again. Then merely hot and full-flavored, a kind of German mustard with a touch of horseradish and, well, mushroom. He swallowed it and ex in the excitement of the moment. <laughs> That's interesting. Did he like it or did he not? His mind was curiously careless. Oh, great phrasing there. He would try another bit. It really wasn't that bad. It was good. He forgot his troubles in the interests of the immediate moment. Playing with death it was. He took another bite and then deliberately finished a mouthful. A curious tingling sensation began in his, in his fingertips and toes. He falls to the ground. And when he recovers, he rolls up and he rolled over and sat up with a look of astonishment on his face. His carefully brushed silk hat had rolled away towards the ditch. He pressed his hand to its brow. Something had happened, but he could not rightly determine what it was. Anyhow, he was no longer dull. He felt bright, cheerful, and his throat was afire. He laughed in the sudden gaiety of his heart. Had he been dull? He did not know. But at any rate, he would be dull no longer. He got up and stood unsteadily, regarding the universe with an agreeable smile. He began to remember. And then that's his transformation. He's no longer the man he was. 
you know, uh, there are a couple of things here that that seem to me to uh, to help us get a, a deeper sense of this transformation. It's not, after all, uh, I think, simply that he made up his mind and made wise decisions, as he tells his brother in the end, although he does, in fact, clearly make wise decisions, um, but only after he's allowed himself to cut loose. Uh, so there are two things going on here that I say, as I say, I think enrich it. One is that his wise decision is motivated out of his willingness to try things like Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. He, maybe he says he's contemplating suicide, but you know, if if you're really contemplating suicide, I mean, I shouldn't put contemplating. If you have decided on suicide and you think that that mushroom is going to potentially kill you, I don't think you nibble, right? I think you just eat as much of it as you can so that you can get it in there and it will do its job, right? You don't just take a little taste off the edge and see how far it goes. But he does what Alice does. He is curiouser and curiouser. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's one thing that, that – he has created, in a way, through hallucination, as Alice does through projection, a world in which things can be different. And in that sense, I have got to agree with you and gladly, Jesse. Um, he was setting himself up by finally cutting loose that Sunday when he storms out of the house. He was setting himself up to change the world he lived in, at least change the way it looked from his viewpoint. And mm-hmm. maybe the mushroom is just a little bit of a help along the way. On the other hand, or I should say supplementarily, um, there is a ruler in the universe who set things up so that he could stumble upon this means to release the, the, the greater power in this fellow. Between the part I had read in first and the part that you read now, there's a very interesting paragraph, it seems to me. The odor, he says, as he's contemplating it, uh, was certainly strong, acrid, but by no means disgusting. Uh, meaning that you can get it down because, you know, gust is stomach. He broke off a piece and the fresh surface was a creamy white that changed like magic in the space of 10 seconds to a yellowish green color. In other words, youth, right? Some kind of like a fresh shoot of grass. It was even an inviting looking change. He broke off two other pieces to see it repeated. So he's fascinated by this. He's thinking about living, not dying. They were wonderful things, these fungi, thought Mr. Coombs. And all of them, the deadliest poisons, as his father had often told him, deadly poisons. That repetition is in the text, of course. His father? Where does father? We get nothing about this guy's background. We, you know, we don't know where he grew up. I mean, we don't know his parents. We just know he's been struggling to put together enough money to be able to marry. Right? His father? Well, you know, if your name is JC, <laughs> right, and your yeah. father says all mushrooms are deadly, you know, I'm sending you out into the world, but you're going to die there. But it's all for the good. Um, son of a gun, it turns out that the father is there. There is that strange ruler in the world. And I can't tell in this story whether Wells, I don't mean the narrator who does have this strange attitude, but we hear the narrator's voice. But the author behind that, the, the implied author, as they say, 
I can't tell whether the implied author is letting us know that this is an ordered world and we can expect to succeed in it if only we will do um, what we should. Or if he's saying this is a controlled world and whether it's good or bad will depend entirely on this, the controller, the ruler. I, I don't know whether this is a, a call for us to act or a call for us not to act. It's, it's very, it, it is ambiguous. I, I, I think that's why I enjoy the story as much as I do. There is a, um, I just, I think it's so interesting that the ending, he, after he eats the mushrooms, he's forgotten that he's eaten them. He still packs his hat with them and he still goes home and forces the suitor of his wife's friend to uh, eat some and then gets out a blackening brush and sticks his head under the sink and starts cleaning up his face. This is a man acting insane, but is it an act, right? He oh. <laughs> he doesn't say, I ate a whole bunch of mushrooms, came home, I was so crazy, my wife freaked out, and now she does what I tell her, right? But that could be the story. We don't know. Yeah. I knew someone. I, I will just leave it in that vague way. I knew someone who uh, liked alcohol. You mentioned this previously in this discussion, Jesse. Um, and every now and then he would drink to the point where he could roar out um, insulting things to the people around him. But he wouldn't do this to just anybody. Um, he would pick a particular target. And later when he was more in his right mind or his usual mind, and you would say, why did you do that? Mm. He would say, well, you know, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't not say it. it the alcohol made me do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a part of me that says uh, people who only act once they have some kind of drug in their system and then blame it on the drug are being um, either self-deceptive or hypocritical. On the other hand, the control that we all feel by the society around us can sometimes be so strong that the only way we can follow a path of our own, even into the woods, um, is to decide that we have thrown off the social norms. It's interesting to me that at the beginning of the story, Coombs is angry that they are playing joyful music on a Sunday, music that should be confined to the other days of the week. He's worried that people will hear it through the walls. But we also come to understand he doesn't see it as fit. It's only when he gets to see that you could, in fact, have some self-directed action, even on a Sunday, that his life takes a turn for the better. And that, I think, is at least uh, an unambiguous part of the story, that mm -hmm. we, we need to know ourselves. And as long as we don't hurt others, really, um, to find that out, the mechanism of self-discovery is truly important. Uh, yeah. 
it's true. That's what they say about drugs is they can be mind expansive. Um, I just think it's so interesting that people uh, continue to to do them once they've had the expansion, right? <laughs> Sometimes they don't. Indeed. Indeed. So who gets the credit? You know, the purple pileus, pileus doesn't get any credit from from Coombs. But it gets some kind of credit from Wells. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what we would see if we uh, went where we sometime may. That is, there's always more to say. <laughs>